By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity, and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Those are verses 11 through 13 of Psalm 41, which along with Psalm 52 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, January the 24th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. I appreciate it very much. We're continuing to look at the Messianic prophecies of Isaiah today in chapter 48, the first 11 verses. Uh, the epistle, we finished up um, Ephesians, so now we're moving into the epistle to the Galatian church, chapter 1, the first 17 verses of that, and then in Mark's gospel, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, which is the continuation of the story that we finished up last week with, which was the story of the Gerasene demoniac. And so this is the that same day and what happened after that. So in the um, prophetic word today, we have this. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel. So the house of Jacob, remember Jacob when he wrestled with the angel at the Jabbok, um, was given the name Israel as one who had struggled with God. So Jacob and Israel are the same thing. So house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. So you have the name, you, you have the history, but you don't have the truth. He's saying that you've strayed from the truth, even though you continue to call yourself by the name of the one who knew the truth and who proclaimed the truth. So you have all the trappings of being the people of God. You have all the external things, but the internal thing is the problem. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. So it, it's clear that we're talking about these particular ones, and now we have to deal with the Lord of hosts. And Gene Peterson in the message translated this really well, because he translated not just the words, he translated the concept that was trying to, that, that's expressed in the term Lord of hosts. And that translation is Lord of the angel armies. So when you see that, no, no Lord of hosts means Lord of the angel armies. So, so he's the one who leads all those angels. So now the prophecy begins. The former things I declared of old that went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. So what he's saying is, is that, that I've always spoken in advance. I've always declared what my intention was. It might take a long time. For that to come to pass, but all the things that I have declared of old, for instance, that he was giving the land to Abraham and his seed, and that Abraham would have descend, countless descendants, those kinds of things took a long time to come to pass, but they did nonetheless come to pass. Because, so he's, he's authenticating himself as the one who is speaking is the one who declared those other things that came to pass. So you have the witness that my word comes to pass. Because I know that you're obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass, I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. He's saying, I know who you are. If you had had no, if I hadn't declared these things in advance, you would have said, no, 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 that's the result of something else. 
it, it, you wouldn't have attributed it to me unless I had told you in advance that these are the things that I would do. I know who you are. And it's not just the people of Israel that you could say that about. It's also us. We need to hear in advance. We need to know what God's doing. We need him to tell us what he's going to do so that we don't attribute it to something else. And I believe that was part of the issue with the Gerasenes. The reason that Jesus had him stay there was he would be a witness that this, in fact, did happen. Because they later, they would have said, well, we must have made that up. We must have dreamed it up or whatever. And, and that's what we do. We, we, we can doubt something until God gives us another something that we can go, oh, yeah, that's right. And now it validated the thing that happened before that. He said, you have heard. Now see all this. And will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now. Not long ago, before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You've never heard, you've never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. So what he's saying is, is that, that if I didn't tell you this now, if I just did it without giving you advance warning, then you would say, Well, I knew that was going to happen. But what I'm telling you is something brand new is on the horizon, and you have no earthly idea what it is. Now, God doesn't give them the full word, um, not as clearly as they would have liked it, and that's the reason that ultimately they reject Jesus, because he didn't fulfill their expectations. Matthew's gospel is primarily written, we believe, for Jews, because it contains so many references to the prophetic words. And, and it's, so it's there to convince the Jews, the Jewish readers, that this was written in advance, so that's Matthew's whole project in writing his gospel, is to convince his Jewish readers, his brothers, that Jesus was the fulfillment of these prophetic words. So he, then he continues, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So he's saying that, that I've tried you and I've tested you, but I have not put you through the furnace in this. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction, but I have not refined you as silver. And, and when you refine something as silver, the point of getting to the finished product is, is that the refiner can see his or her image in the silver after it's been refined. And, and God's saying, I'm doing this for me, for my sake. I won't have the nations saying things about me. I want them to know who I am. And therefore, when I do these things, you will know that I did them because I told you in advance, and the nations then will see my glory. It's not you that they'll see, not you that they'll praise. I'll do this in a sovereign way that only I can do. And so that's the proclamation, is always God's going to get glory. And Jesus, remember, shares in that glory. But it's God himself, so he's not sharing it with another in the sense of um, we would think of others because of the Trinity, the three in one and the one in three. 
in this gospel lesson, like I said, we're following up on on uh, Saturday's lesson from when he went and healed the Gerasene demoniac. So, so Jesus has gone to a place where they believe the gates of hell were. It's a spiritually filthy place, and then he was among the tombs with a demon-possessed man, and there were pigs involved. I mean, you can't get any more ritually impure than that. And yet, when he crossed again in the boat to the other side, he came back to Israel. A great crowd followed him, and he was beside the sea. Then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, (coughs) seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly. Remember when the the demon-possessed man comes to Jesus, what does he do? He falls at his feet. He, He bows down. He's recognizing the great power in Jesus, that's that's a greater power than even this legion of demons has, and they have to beg him for everything. They can't do anything without his permission. And here, Jairus comes and falls at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly. So we've got begging going on all through the Gerasene demoniac um, part of the lesson, which would have been the demons begged him on two different occasions, don't send us out and send us into the pigs. And then the man begged, or the people of the land begged him to leave, and then the man begged to go with him. So here, Jairus, is, is, this is implored him earnestly, it is sort of beyond begging. It's, it's this desperate sort of situation. My little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So the man expressed his need and his faith. He believed that Jesus could lay hands on her and she would be made well and live. And so Jesus goes with him. And as he goes, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. I mean, this, this lady was probably weak because she would have lost so much blood over that period of time that she would have had so little strength because of that loss, and then she had spent everything she had. She had given everything she had. She had no hope left, and yet now she sees Jesus. Now, she is incredibly ritually impure. She hadn't been able to go to a synagogue or a temple or visit in Jewish homes probably during this entire period of time because of the ritual impurity that she would have had because of this issue of blood. So she was just ostracized from the community, but they would have known her and known about the situation. So she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I'll be made well. I mean, her faith had to have been shaken to its core. She had lost faith in medicine. She had lost faith in everything. And yet now she sees Jesus and faith is revived. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see this crowd pressing around, and yet you say, Who touched me? You see all these people here? How could anybody possibly not have touched you? There's no way to determine who has touched you. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So again, here we go with this falling down before Jesus three different times in this this sequence of stories for this one day. People are beginning to, to see and they're beginning to believe. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It's a powerful, moving moment, and he calls her daughter. He could have called her anything, but he chooses to call her daughter. 
you can the tenderness in that word itself would have spoken so directly to her heart. She is a child of God, a beloved child of God, who has just been made whole. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And I felt when during Will's situation, when he was in the coma for five weeks, I felt that every day, that God was saying to me, Don't fear, only believe. Wipe that other stuff out. Whatever anybody else says, listen to my voice, John. Listen to my voice. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And so Jesus, again, selects these three disciples. And and I I remember hearing uh, a teacher one time talk about this. You know, the other disciples had to have been jealous of this. He said you could just hear the the whispering in the background. It's always Peter, James, and John. He said Pete, Jim, and John. But it's always the same three. And and so what it's saying is, is that he has a special ministry for those three. So they came to the house of the ruler, saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They knew the difference between sleeping and death. And it's the same kind of words that he uses, Jesus does, with Lazarus in John 11, that he's fallen asleep. And then they believe that means he's literally fallen asleep. And if he goes to sleep, then he's going to be all right. He says, no, I'm telling you, he's dead. He's died. And so here, these people know that she's not asleep. They, they know there's no pulse. There's no life in this body. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. He needed the witnesses, by the way, and you have to have three witnesses. It has to be an uneven number. So taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus affects these three incredibly powerful miracles in the course of one day, the Gerasene demoniac, the woman with the issue of blood, and now here, the raising of this little girl from the dead. And so it's just a day in the life. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to have spent that day with Jesus watching him do these three incredible things? And then what do you do at the end of that day? I mean, you're going to sit down and sort of debrief this thing and go over it, and you're just going to sit in radical amazement. And that's the point of of doing these things is the point of faith is to see with eyes of faith. These things can happen, and I've seen these things happen. I've seen it happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in others' lives. I've seen the power of prayer. I've seen the power of God to do things and to make irreversible situations, hopeless situations, become hopeful and hope-filled. And so it's, it's something always to remark on, and then other people will have doubts. But here, these people, all these people see this. They see all the things that Jesus has done, and yet on the day of the crucifixion, they stand there demanding that he be crucified. It's an amazing thing. They, they've attributed it to some other power. They believed that some other power has done these miracles. And, and it goes back to that, that Isaiah lesson that God says, you know, hey, I'm trying to get your attention, but I know how hard your hearts are. I know how hard your foreheads are. It's like brass, and it's difficult to get through to you, and you will always have doubt 
And that's the point is, is that we're always called to have faith and to see him in all these things. When Paul writes to the Galatian church, man, he takes like no time to get down to business. He, he's going to do his greeting and then he's going to confront. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. In other words, he said, I don't owe my apostleship to anybody. God called me and he equipped me. That's it. It wasn't because other men laid hands on me and gave me that apostleship. No, it's because God himself did it. He sent Ananias, who was himself not an apostle. He was one of the originals. So he sent to lay hands on Paul. And, and Paul says, my apostleship came directly from God in the same way that theirs did to the churches of Galatia. So it's written to all the churches in the region. Great, and they would have sort of gone, and then it would have been read in all the churches. That's the way these epistles worked. It would have been read in the course of the worship. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, our, our will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he gets it's his usual greeting, right? Grace and peace. And then he's going to explain who it's from. It's not just coming from me. No, this comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to preach the gospel. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. So it's what God always wanted and always intended and always told us was going to happen. So that's what, who I'm giving you this grace from. And then he goes directly from that to, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I mean, Paul has, he is, he's got something to say to the churches in Galatia. And, and what it is, this, this different gospel, as we're going to see through the course of this epistle, is those who have come in and, and they, they're what they call the Judaizers, those who have come in and said, no, 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 that's not enough. You got to be circumcised, and you got to take on the law, and all that kind of stuff. And so, it's not good news at all. And Paul, and that's what Paul says. You've turned to a different gospel. You've begun to to believe the stuff these other people are saying to you. And I am an apostle because apparently that's been questioned in Galatia. Was Paul really an apostle? Because well, he wasn't. A, he wasn't confirmed by the people in Jerusalem. This was done outside that group. And so now they've come in and, and they've said, well, you know, Paul preaches a different gospel at some level. He preaches a gospel that's different from the gospel that the apostles themselves are preaching. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I'm preaching the gospel. These people are bringing you something completely different. Not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul couldn't speak any more powerfully about this situation, right? I mean, let him be accursed. And then in, in case you miss that, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So I preach the true gospel to you, and if somebody comes in later and preaches something different to you, then that person should be accursed, and, and Paul's expecting that he will be. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, which is what he says, that's what I was doing before, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. 
For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was, that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He made a personal appearance to me and told me the truth, and what I received from him is what I preached to you. I didn't get this from any man. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely jealous or zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I was becoming a big wheel in Judaism because of the way that I went after the church. That was my calling card, was I was the guy who was going to destroy this new movement. So that's who I was. Don't tell me what it means to be a Jew. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. I didn't go ask, what does this mean? I didn't have to go ask anybody at all because I received it as revelation. I got it firsthand from the mouth of Jesus, who, when I said, when he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you? And the voice from heaven said, I am Jesus. And that brought Paul to his knees and blinded him. So he said, I didn't have to go ask anybody what it meant or what I should preach, because I got it directly from the Lord Jesus himself. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus where it all began. So Paul said, I didn't get this from man. I'm not making this up, and I'm not getting it wrong. I got it directly from Jesus. So if anybody comes and tells you something else, they're wrong, and let them be accursed because they are turning you away from the truth. And, And it's important that we let everything go. And that we trust only in him, only the one who has the power to heal and to save. That would be Jesus.